Hey, everybody, this is George. Welcome to the View Church podcast. And yes, this is a live teaching coming from you at my office on my computer, because again, on Sunday, we had a technical issue in capturing the live teaching. So no problem. Um, jump on here and uh, excited to kind of share what we've been swimming in, what we've been talking about. And uh, just as a disclaimer, I am recording this on voice memo. So I do want to acknowledge this probably isn't the best audio quality, but yet here you are and here I am and hopefully you could hear it clearly. But as many of you know, we've been um, just exploring what is a church and we've used this phrase called isn't she beautiful because there's so many of us that still believe the church is just a beautiful thing and it has beautiful work to do in the world and it's made up of just wonderful and beautiful people. And yes, we've all encountered I would say some of us may have encountered uh, just disappointment or disillusionment or, um, you know, some way along our journey of faith where maybe the church has disappointed us. And so uh, the only thing I know to do when um, we experience the practice of something bad is to open our hearts to wisdom. What we can what can we learn from that and how can we practice something better? And so that's what we're trying to do is just learn um, from this first century church in the book of Acts, this first church, and what can we take away from their experience that might still be true for us um, 2,000 years later. And I think we've been surprised to find that there's so much in the ancient wisdom of this first century that has never been more true or needed than right now in this moment that we live. And so uh, we kind of started with what is the church? And it's this ongoing work of Jesus in the world. And what we're learning in the book of Acts is that these first Christians are beginning to discover that the spirit that was at work through Jesus's life is at work in their community and in them. And uh, they're not doing this alone, but they're sensing this empowerment by God's spirit as Jesus promised them to carry on the work that, that he began. And so there's just these beautiful things happening in the world. And Jesus is making this beautiful, beautiful move that these first century Christians are beginning to make. And that beautiful move, move is this, that this is like the first time in human and religious history where a group of people are moving from just a tribe and privilege group that gathers, but to a community for all people. It's kind of central to the Christian story that I hope we can recapture today. And they're inviting people, hey, here's here's what it means to be human, which is an invitation to everybody. And so they are taking all this diversity of the world that they live in and all the diversity of people. And they're trying to live out what Paul talks about. Um, he says Jesus is trying to make us into one new humanity, bringing these two parts that seem to be in opposition to each other together in some beautiful way. And so that, that's actually what's happening here very early in the church, and they're working very hard, of it, hard at that. And so in a world that's just so tribal and divided and suspicious and fearful of others who aren't like us, um, this is just a beautiful snapshot of perhaps what the church can be in 2022. And so I want to read to you, I read this probably several weeks ago, um, and I want to uh, take it a little further uh, today, but in Acts chapter 2, there is just this beautiful snapshot of, of the beauty of, of the church and what's happening with these people. Um, 
And in verse 42 of chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Prayer is what I want to focus on today. Um, But it goes on to say, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is just such a beautiful picture. And it's people coming together to create a new kind of human family. And I really think that's what's driving all this. If you remember Jesus's prayer in John 17, he says, God, can you make them one like you and I are one? Like that was Jesus's prayer. Like how can we bring people together? And um, so this is the first church living out that prayer of Jesus. So today I want to I want to just talk a little bit about prayer and how that was central uh, to these first century Christians. And where did they get this? Well, they, they got it from Jesus. In Luke chapter uh, 11, um, disciples are witnessing to all these beautiful things that Jesus is doing, these miracles, these, uh, the way he's loving people, the way he's bringing people together, the way he's reaching out and touching people that a lot of the religious leaders of the day um, wouldn't even go near. Um, and so uh, they're... These followers, these disciples, they're witnessing to this, and, and man, it's, uh, it's triggering their hearts. And so it says one day in chapter 11 of Luke, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. So obviously they're witnessing that this power and energy um, this goodness, this love, this uh, healing of the world that's coming out of Jesus, uh, it seems to come from this place of prayer because they're, they're witnessing him doing this. And they're like, hey, teach us to pray. And uh, I read something uh, several years ago. It was a book by Ronald Rollheiser on prayer. And he talks about her deepest longing. And he began to give me like what uh, a different understanding of perhaps what was attracting these disciples to the prayer life of Jesus, because maybe some of us would think it's the miracles, you know, it's the the real powerful things, the huge things. And uh, he begins to to, to uh, show us in, in, in this writing that perhaps it was something else. So I want to read to you uh, what he began to say that could have been what was attracting these disciples to learn prayer from Jesus. He says the disciples sense Jesus's real depth and power are drawn from his prayer. They know that's what makes him special, unlike any other religious leader. But we must be careful not to misunderstand what constituted their attraction and what they were asking for when they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. What impressed them, says Ronald Rollheiser, and what they wanted for their own lives, listen to this, was the depth and graciousness of his soul. How many of you ever thought about that in the form of prayer? that that was what was attracting him, attracting them to Jesus' prayer life, the depth and graciousness of his soul. The power they admired was Jesus' power to love and forgive his enemies rather than embarrass and crush them. And Rollheiser goes on to say, what they wanted was Jesus' power to be big-hearted, big-hearted, to love beyond his own tribe, to love poor and rich alike, to live inside joy, peace, Patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, despite everything within life that works against these virtues. So uh, that really opened my heart to a different way of understanding perhaps what was attracting 
these disciples to Jesus's prayer and why they wanted to learn it in more depth. And then Jesus goes on to teach them the Lord's prayer, this model prayer, um, which is uh, just a beautiful prayer. I'm not going to read it right now, but you can go read it in chapter 11 of Luke. Um, but what I do want to do is I want to skip down to verse nine. Um, and I want to read what Jesus says on the other side of the Lord's prayer. He says this, he says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. For those who seek, find. And for those who knock, the door will be open. Now, uh, wow, this is a text that um, is complicated for me um, because it seems like you just ask you just seek, you just knock, and it's given to you. And so uh, in just a moment, I want to tell you a story about um, how this this particular text played out in my life. But I, I just want to start by saying this. Prayer is complicated, isn't it? Um, and it's been my personal experience and, and conversations with lots of people recently that there's been some discouragement, like especially what's going on in Ukraine, um, just different things that are happening in people's lives. And they feel like they're doing what Jesus invites them to do here, to ask, to seek, to knock. But yet they're not receiving like they think they should or like they would hope. And so uh, I want to go into those conf conflicted feelings for just a moment um, about this text. And, and can we just work it out together? Because the truth is many of us have have asked for things that we haven't received, haven't we? Um, and, and I'm not talking about winning the lottery. Um, I'm talking about just like really good things that most of us would go, why wouldn't God give us that? Or why wouldn't God answer that? Things like health or healing or the safety of children, um, the provision for just basic needs. How about the end to some kind of abuse or, or maybe for some of us, it's um, mental health to, to get better. Um, maybe it's for the violence to stop. Peace in the world. Um, we've all prayed these prayers. And I know many of us have had the sense like, yeah, why, why wouldn't God give us those things? It's not like we're asking for selfish things. Um, these are just basic things that, that human beings have or people that we love need. And so anybody relate to that? Um, and I want, I want to go feel like I'm too far out on a limb here by myself, but let me, let me tell you a story about me because I think preachers can talk about this kind of text, um, as if they never lived a human life. And, um, you know, just like they somehow are at this place of understanding prayer, like no one else and all the things they ask for just come into their lives. When I, when I was a young man, um, I was quite sincere, even for a young man in my faith, and uh, about 10, 11 years old, uh, faith just became a really important thing in my life, and I was just fascinated by Jesus. And But I had this, um, this thing going on in my personal life. Uh, at 10 years old, my father, uh, he was about 32 at the time, um, got cancer and got lung cancer and began to uh, deal with 
the battle of cancer. And it just seemed like it got progressively worse over 18 months. It went from his lung to his brain to just spreading all throughout his body. But uh, I had uh, some friends and some family that um, were uh, word of faith uh, folks. And um, they began to to say to me, George, you just you pray in faith and God gives you what it is that you ask for. And so I, I began to, even as a little boy, just begin to pray in that way, like really believing that if I could ask um, with a heart that truly trusted that, you know, God would heal my father. Well, um, those answers of my prayers did not actually come. My father died after an 18 month um, illness uh, with cancer. And it was just this defining moment in in my faith uh, because the modality of prayer that I was given in that moment um, didn't deliver on what it is that I was hoping for, or what it is that I thought the way I was praying was going to bring about. And so I remember in that moment and uh, just feeling pain and disappointment and uh, what am I going to do with this? It's like, I, I, I believe with all my heart, I prayed those prayers in faith. So the first thing that you could tend to do is think that it has something to do with your faith or you're not asking right, you know, um, or it just wasn't the right connotation or, you know, uh, you just didn't do something right, which I think is just horrible. Uh, but I don't know where this came from. The only thing I know to describe it is that it was perhaps the power of the Holy Spirit guiding me. But I made this choice and it was. I'm not sure that that the prayer works that way or that the modality of prayer that I was given is, you know, the way that we are to pray. But what I do believe is that, God, you're good and God, you're loving and God, I sent you here. And um, I remember this having to set aside all these ways I thought about praying to God and letting those go and going, I have no idea what it means to pray. But I do believe this and I do sense this. Somehow, God, you're with me in this. But I got to let go this way of understanding prayer and perhaps open my heart to a different way of understanding. But what I'm going to hold on to is that, God, you are love and you're here with me. And I found God to be faithful in that. So I don't know. For some of us, maybe maybe we have disappointments about prayer. Maybe the way that we were taught or given, we tried it and you know, it didn't work out exactly like we were told it was going to work out. Um, I find these can be just beautiful moments of setting something down and trusting that perhaps God is at work in different ways that maybe we don't see or we don't understand. And maybe there's a new way to understand it or a new way, a new practice of prayer that we can move our hearts toward. So uh, that was the defining moment for me. So I don't know if anyone has that kind of experience and you read these kinds of texts, and that tends to be a discouragement to you because the reality is, is that we often pray for good things and we don't get them. So this text has to mean something else or else we're just all praying in a way that is not getting us the results. And I don't think that's what it is. I don't think God could stand by and watch us um not know how to play, pray and not teach us or not be guiding us in some way. So uh, here's another personal example of something I experienced uh, about 20, 
or 10 years ago, about 12 years ago. Um, in Nashville here, we had a historic 100 year flood in 2010. And, uh, where my house is out, it kind of sits up on a hill. But right across the street from us were houses that, uh, got flooded. Um, we live on River Bend Drive, which is right around the Herpeth River. And so, uh, when the 2010 flood hit, that river, uh, flooded, obviously, and, um, our subdivision and all, a lot of the homes around where we live uh, got hit, but we we're kind of up on the hill. And I remember watching the water come up and watching across the street as homes across from me were filling up with water. Um, and I remember uh, this moment of going, oh, God, thank you. Thank you that somehow you spared my our house, you know, and I obviously felt compassion for my neighbors. But then something in my heart went, wait a minute, uh, God, you, I'm, I'm praying that you are given thanks that you spared my house. But what might my neighbor think in hearing me say that? That somehow you spared my house from the flood, but you didn't theirs? And what was fascinating is we all started working together to help each other. Um, I began to learn that my neighbors were praying the same prayers I was praying as they were watching the water come up. So it kind of put my heart in this conflicted, complicated place of like, did somehow God's favor come to me and not my neighbors, even though they were praying the same prayers? And uh, yeah, that was a conflicted moment. But there was two things that I learned in that. One was that gratitude is always the right thing. Of course, I should have gratitude that the floodwaters did not come to my house. But I also... uh, was unsure as to how me thinking that somehow God spared mine, what that might speak to my neighbors who were praying the same prayer. And something happened in my heart where I stopped just thinking about me, even though I was grateful. And I started, my heart started going, being more concerned about my friends and my neighbors. And um, there was this expansiveness in my heart. Remember one of the things that Ronald Rollheiser told us that it was the depth and graciousness of Jesus' soul that was attracting uh, these disciples to learn about prayer and how Jesus prayed. And it said what they wanted was Jesus' power to be big-hearted. Well, I began to recognize with all these complicated things like, why did my house get spared and someone else's didn't? And yet they were praying the same prayer. What began to happen in my heart, my heart began to become bigger big hearted as that uh, text says. And so I began to care about that. And so I think there was a move happening in my heart that God wanted to happen. Um, And prayer for me wasn't, you know, bringing all the neat and tidy answers to everything, but I'll tell you what it definitely did. It filled my heart with gratitude, but it also opened my heart with deep compassion to my neighbors. And I think somehow God was beautifully in that. So my prayer shifted to how do we help our neighbors? How do we show up to them? And even though this tragedy has hit their homes and didn't hit mine, how could I be the presence of love? How can we all as neighbors surround our neighbors and help them through this? So the prayer began to shift toward God, give us strength to do that. Help us to be there for each other in some way. So but we tend to think of prayer. Um, I think we often think of it more as a way of getting something than a way of being touched in the heart. 
And um, I found that that's the more reliable way to open our hearts to prayer and to practice it is not what does it bring us or, or get us, but how is it touching my heart in some way? And so uh, I want to read you something else. Um, one of my favorite uh, spiritual teachers and uh, leaders and theologians is a pastor by the name of Eugene Peterson, and uh, he's deeply influenced uh, the pastoral vocation for me. But he says this about prayer, and I just think it's so, so helpful. He says, prayer are tools not for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. And I found that just to be so helpful to me. Um, so if that is true, prayers are tools for doing or getting. Not, I mean, if they're tools not for doing or getting, but for being and becoming, um, prayer can become a really profound tool for becoming something, uh, for growing up, uh, for growing whole and more healthy, and for growing in love. And so those are the practices of prayer that I've learned to trust in. And I've learned to live with the ambiguity or the paradox of how prayers often go unanswered. But prayer is a powerful tool for these things happening in our lives, for becoming more big-hearted, for being touched in heart, um, for growing up and becoming something. Um, so prayer is a vital, vital part of the spiritual journey. Now, um, for those of us that maybe have tried prayer and don't think it works or we've had a bad experience, um, maybe like me, you just need a reset. Maybe... Maybe it's the way that you think prayer is supposed to work that needs to die and you need to let go of that somehow. Um, maybe it's a particular practice of prayer you've been doing, but you feel like you're beating your head against a wall. Like it doesn't give you peace. It doesn't help guide you in some beautiful way. It doesn't expand your heart. It just makes you more frustrated. I think there are all these different beautiful ways of praying. And I think we're we're all wired a bit uniquely. And so um, I don't think there's one size fits all. But I do think we have to be honest about, are we just doing something out of road or routine? And does it just create more disappointment? Um, is there a way to engage prayer that is more helpful um, to becoming the human beings that God made us to be? And I believe there is. And I just want to leave you with this story. Because prayer can become this thing that um, puts burdens on her. I remember as a little boy, I was taught, you got to pray every day. You know, you got to spend an hour in your Bible and, um, you know, pray. And um, those things are deeply shaping. But I think we have to trust God's spirit to lead us into those things, not just to do them because someone said, hey, that's what you're supposed to do. And maybe that's how we learned is maybe someone does say, hey, this is the way you do it. And you give yourself to it and you practice it. Um, but maybe if you find yourself in not working in the way it's working for someone else, maybe that's just because you need a different mod modality of prayer. I mean, there's a different way that prayer um, can be practiced in your life or that you can engage in. And so what I've learned to do is to trust that, to learn from as many people as I can with a humble, open heart. But then to also trust um, that God's spirit is going to lead me to the right way of praying for me. And in the same ways that these disciples asked Jesus, we can ask God's spirit, teach us, teach us what it looks like to pray. 
But I, I want to leave you just with this. It might be helpful for, for some of us if we're, if we're wrestling with all that. Um, there, uh, I read to you Ronald Roheiser earlier. He's, he's a Roman Catholic priest and spiritual writer, but uh, I heard him tell a story years ago about um, he learned in his training that you can't really advance in the spiritual life unless you pray at least an hour a day. That's kind of like what I got in my childhood. But he says um, there was this mother that came to him um, when he was a priest and she was at home with young children. And uh, she told him, she says, man, they just demand my whole attention. And she says to him, where would I ever find un an uninterrupted hour in each day? And she, she told him, she says, I'd be praying with screaming children tugging at my legs. Like, how, how effective would that be? And he said this, and it, it, it was really helpful to me, and I hope it will be helpful to you. But he said for years he would have been tempted to point out to her, point out to her that if she couldn't afford uh, to pray an hour a day, um, that, you know, this was going to lead to some kind of failure in her life. And that the fact that she was so stressed by all this that it was probably pointing to she needed that more than ever. He said that would have been the advice that he would, uh, she would have, he would have gave her. But he told her this instead, which I absolutely love. He says, if you're home all alone with small children who, whose needs give you little uninterrupted time, then you don't need an hour of private prayer daily. He told her this, raising small children, if it is done with love and generosity, will do for you exactly what a private prayer does. Oh, my gosh. What an amazing way to think about prayer. And it kind of goes back to that concept of being big hearted, this depth and graciousness of soul that have we given thought to just the ways that we engage with the world around us. Perhaps you're a, a mother of small children that raising those small children, if it's done with love and generosity, that is your prayer. And so uh, I don't know if this is helpful or if this is just more confusing to you. Um, but what I do pray and what I do hope is that we would be honest about this part of our lives, that one, it's necessary, it's needed to grow in what prayer is. Two, that if we've been disappointed or hurt by it in some way, that perhaps we could come back to it with an open heart and with renewed openness to embrace prayer, maybe in a new way that can be more life-giving and can lead to this kind of depth and graciousness of soul that perhaps these first disciples were attracted to. Um, but that we wouldn't just throw out the baby with the bathwater, that perhaps we can all open our hearts to how central prayer was to Jesus and what it meant to be in a relationship with his loving father, um, how central it was to this first church and the power and strength and the good things that they did in the world and bringing Jesus' work forward and through prayer, how it brought them together in some beautiful way. Maybe we could just open our hearts to that and find that it truly does matter. And maybe there's some modalities of it that we just need to set aside, some things we got in our upbringing, or maybe even just expectations and burdens we put upon ourselves. But what if prayer was just a, uh, uh, something that became a wind at our back? What if prayer was this awareness of God in and with and beneath the experience of life?
What if it was the thing that gave us assurance of God's presence and friendship and love? Can we maybe open our hearts to just the beauty, the simplicity of that again? And let's just see where it takes us. Um, I pray that your heart would be open to that um, and that you would discover, as Jesus goes on to say in uh, Luke 11, verse 13, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, the promise in this uh, seeking and knocking and asking is the Holy Spirit, which is just the divine energy of life. So ultimately, in our seeking and asking and knocking, what if we discovered this energy of life that opens our heart to live fully, um, to embrace both the pain and the difficulty and the struggle, but see our hearts expand in some beautiful way that prayer could become a beautiful grace in our life that feels like a wind at our back that just continues to guide us and to pull us forward into what we learned from Jesus, what we're learning from this first church, and what perhaps we could practice here in 2022. Grace and peace to you, my friends, and I just pray that your heart can open up to prayer in a more beautiful way that really does matter and make a difference in your lives. We'll talk to you soon. Hope to see you at a Sunday gathering here real soon. Blessings and peace to you.